This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 7, Episode 12, Writing the Omniscient Viewpoint. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And we're excusing Dan, who is um, helping his child who uh, got wounded in fighting ninjas, I believe it was. Karate. Yes. Kar- karate. So I guess it wasn't ninja. Well, no. it could have been ninjas. I it mean, he could have been, been defending... Yeah, he's yeah he's he's taking them t- taking him to uh, one of those uh, fancy American institutions of magical healing um, to get a cheeseburger. Right, right. Um, so, omniscient viewpoint. Uh, this is, I think, the hardest viewpoint to write of the base three. Now, of course, second person is probably going to be technically harder. You should not be writing second person unless you're writing something very specialized. So. Compared to, um, I think personally, I think limited in first person, omniscient is tougher to get right. And I think a lot of that is because it's out of fashion right now, so yeah. people are out of the habit of reading it, which yep. means that you have to work harder to tell them that that's what you're doing. Yeah, that's part of it. And I also think that um, this is this is personal philosophy on my part. I think that as fiction has grown and progressed, um, fiction is actually relatively new, at least prose fiction. Um, and as we've gotten used to it we found that certain types of storytelling, the limited, um, can be more powerful for certain things that people are trying to do. And when in the past, they would just use omniscient for everything. Omniscient certainly is more powerful for certain types of storytelling. But as we've gained more tools, we've found that the types of stories we want to tell often fit better in limited. Um, because of this, um, omniscient actually in the past, even when people are used to it, was sometimes used clunkily mm-hmm. for the wrong type of story. And so if people have read a lot of those stories, when they come and now write their own omniscient, imitating that, they can be doing it accurately, but it's still not appropriate. Yeah. Um, do we need to give like a little bit of a, a little bit of a definition? Yeah, I think we can. Um, I remember when we first, first talked Viewpoint in 2008, I did not understand what these were. Um, so omniscient is where the narrator uh, can see all the action and know the thoughts of the characters who are performing the action yeah. and isn't restricted to a particular character's point of view. Yep. And anytime we say limited, like third person limited or first person limited, um, we are limiting ourselves to one person's point of view. Yep, exactly. Um, and om- omniscient just doesn't suffer from those yeah. limits. Now I'm going to actually break omniscient into several types of omniscient. Um, which if you're going to write omniscient, you should probably be considering what type you're going to write. Um, because um, Howard writes in a certain type of omniscient, which um, Orson Scott Card has named um, the cinematic. Cinematic. Um, what is the cinematic omniscient? Um, cinematic is a... It, I actually consider it a limited viewpoint, right. but it, it is limited to the camera who is usually not one of the characters. Yeah. And yet sometimes the camera will adopt the point of view of one of the characters so we can see something, you know, through their eyes. Like, for instance, when you're looking through binoculars. Right. Um, suddenly you go from uh, from a camera POV to an eyeball POV. Um, and yet there are things, because of the nature of the story I'm telling, yeah. um, I've moved away from using thought bubbles. And so even though I can tell you right. what a character is thinking, I try not to because right. I feel like that sours the story. And I think Scott Card would not like this called an omniscient. I think he does call it third-person cinematic yeah. um, is, how, is how he defines it. 
Um, so that's that's one thing. Um, well, but the moment I yeah. use a thought bubble, yeah. I'm not cinematic because right. in cinema, you know, right. in Blade Runner, which right. is cinematic, um, when Decker is talking yes. and narrating the story, um, it's now it's definitely third person, right? Um, but with you, a fallible narrator, you can um, you can show the thoughts of many different characters in a given scene yeah. if yeah. you want to, and I think you have before. I you have. also have the narrator who knows all and sees all yep. that occasionally pops in and gives extra information. Mm -hmm. And um, the narrator so, is definitely in an omniscient... Yep. Yeah. And so what you're doing, but let's, let's break this down. One base type of omniscient that you can do is the, the storyteller. Yes. Someone is telling you a story and the storyteller has all the information and you get a sense that there is some person out there doing this to you. This usually has a conversational tone. Mm -hmm. um, often the, the storyteller will use the I. I don't know, or you know, they'll well, you, they'll um, address you. You wouldn't know this, but. Yeah. Uh, Tail Swapper, the narrator of Seventh Son mm. by Orson Scott Card, right. is, is a fine example of the, the present narrator. You know, actually, um, The Hobbit, I'm the pretty Hobbit sure, is, is in this. Hobbit is, yeah, The yeah. Hobbit is exactly very um, much. And the narrator in, um, in The Hobbit is not very present. Yeah. But you can tell from the narrative. So let's talk about this one first. What, what, why would you use this type of omniscient? Well, one thing it allows you to do um, is to do a direct address to the reader. And that can often, although not always, but that can often pull the reader in in different ways yeah. by making them feel invested, um, which, is, which is actually part of the reason that first person, it's a tool that first person yes. can also use. It, it gives you a little bit of a first person flavor yeah. for a third person story. It also allows you to talk about things that um, that it would be useful for the reader to know, uh, but that you don't necessarily want the character to know. It, it gives you a way to comment on them. I, I use, um, technically, uh, Shades of Milk and Honey. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing that um, so that I can use direct address and right. so that I can in brief moments step back and comment on my characters. Well, and one of the big strengths of first person that, um, that third person doesn't have is this way to info dump through a direct address yes. where you can add just a little bit of a flavor or in sometimes in first person a strong flavor of character to the info dump in a way that makes it very interesting. Um, the Alcatraz books, if you've read mine, I use a very present narrator to allow me to info dump and crack jokes in um, in these big narrative blocks. Yeah, it's it's yeah. interesting because in uh, in Alcatraz, what you've got is, after a fashion, an yeah. omniscient narrator because he's been through all this, but he's omniscient and unreliable because he's yes. lying to us about things. Right. Um, really, Alcatraz is, is first person omniscient. It's a first person telling a story where he knows all the information after the fact and is now telling it to you, while the actual things that are happening are happening in third first person limited. So we're moving between first person limited Alcatraz's viewpoint and first person omniscient. Um, it, it makes for a really screwy viewpoint, um, but it allows me to do some of these things mm -hmm. with omniscient. And it, it, can be, it can be a wonderful way to get across some information. Yeah, it's also a good way for, um, because you can get across information, it's a good way to condense things as well. Yep. And since we're talking about 
uh, we were talking about cinematic, an example um, that you guys can actually read is Report from the Near Future, Crystallization by David Gerald. Yes. And that's in uh, the Elemental Tsunami Relief Anthology. And this is a short story um, that's basically about the highways in Los Angeles becoming hopelessly clogged. There are no named characters in this story, but it's, it's incredibly compelling, and it, it is the kind of topic that you would not be able to tackle in short fiction, right. the, the breadth of the story. Uh, you wouldn't be able to tackle it in short fiction if you were trying to write it in third person. Um, and I would suggest uh, a story called The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas um, by Ursula K. Le Guin as another really good example of this type of story because there are very distinct types of omniscient and we're going to talk about others and these both will give you a feel for what we're talking about. In, <coughs> excuse me, in Tom Clancy's The Sum of All Fears, there's a chapter called Three Shakes mm -hmm. in which an omniscient narrator describes to us the first, I think, second and a half uh, following the detonation of a low-yield nuclear mm. weapon. Mm. Okay. Um, it's not one of the characters' POVs, yep. obviously. Yep. Nobody could have observed this. Um, and it's, it's a fascinating read. And it's incredibly gripping because it takes place in the middle of a story that is, that is POV-driven. And know, now the narrator has to come in and tell us. I think that may actually be the second type of omniscient I'm going to talk about. Oh, well... Um, because, uh, and, and we'll get to that in a minute. I think it might actually, but you can tell me when we get to it. Okay. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Um, but I actually want to stop us for our book of the week first. Yes, uh, book of the week is Acacia by David Anthony Durham. This is a sweeping epic fantasy that's a secondary world. It deals with all kinds of really interesting issues and um, I highly recommend this. It's the first book in a trilogy. Very, very much recommended. Now it's not omniscient. We just wanted to promo it because we, we like the book and we like him. Um, but it, we, we highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. Actually, there are places where he, yeah. he uses omniscient as a tool, okay. but it is definitely, it's written in third person. Okay, excellent. Howard, how can they get this? Oh, Howard just Head on out. I popped in a cough, cough drop so that I don't make horrible noises into the microphone. You always um, make horrible <laughs> 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 So the, this next horrible noise, um, head on out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Download a, uh, a copy of... I'm sorry, what was the name of the Acacia. book again? Acacia. A-C-A-C-I-A. Acacia by... David Anthony Durham. David Anthony Durham. No, I really was paying attention as I was no. fishing around for that cough drop. No, that's fine. Um, you can start a 14-day free trial and uh, get a copy of Acacia by David Anthony Durham for free <laughs> and help support writing excuses. Okay, um, so I would... Now, these are my, you know, Brandon's armchair splitting, and so... There are going to be things that blend between these, but I would call a second type of omniscient the occasional zoom-out omniscient. Um, this is the omniscient, for instance, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time books. Uh, the first paragraph of every book is in omniscient. Mm -hmm. It's a zoom-out. You see the big land. You z then you kind of zoom in to a character viewpoint, and you stay limited there 
basically it's, for the rest of the it's book. It's an establishing shot. It's an establishing yeah. shot. There are some writers, however, that use these very frequently. They'll pull out and show an establishing shot. You know, you get a viewpoint from an eagle flying overhead, mm -hmm. and then, you know, you get, or you get a viewpoint, for instance, of an explosion right. that no one can see. You don't feel like there's a present narrator, necessarily, and maybe there is in The Sum of All Fears. It's been a long time since I read it, but it's the, the sort of book where you, you jump out to omniscient for a few minutes to give an establishing shot or to give some sort of information and then zoom into a character. Terry viewpoint. Pratchett does this with his footnotes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he does this in actual scenes. Oh, yes, yeah, he, he does, does this. He does yeah. this in scenes, but every time there's a footnote, yeah. um, you are going and reading the footnote, and you're being knocked into omniscient. Yep. yep. This is something that's outside the POV of the character whose POV you were in. Yep. Yeah. No, um, he he does this actually quite a lot. He does it very effectively. Mm -hmm. um, you'll sometimes have a scene that'll zoom out, or you'll sometimes start a book zoomed out. Yeah, I I, I think Shades of Milk and Honey and Glamour and Glass fall into fall into that category more. There's a, there's a scene in Glamour and Glass which is predominantly in um, Jane's POV, and there's a scene where she's unconscious, so I zoom out. <laughs> yep, um, and the, the reason I'm making a distinction here is because I view a big distinction between having a narrator mm -hmm. that you feel somewhere that has their own voice that is addressing the reader, and a, static, or a sterile sort of omniscient where you're not trying to distract people um, and, and create a narrative voice for a narrator. Instead, you're trying to give establishing shots. Yeah, and um, this is why this is all fuzzy, because yep. I could actually fit into either yep. of those. <laughs> um, and um, these are, The reason I bring these and make these divisions is I think, as a, as a writer, um, listeners, you, these are different tools you can use mm -hmm. for different things. And a lot of new writers come in and just start writing omniscient. They don't know they haven't thought about this. They don't know the advantage of limited. By the way, we did a podcast on third-person limited, which I think you'll find very helpful. Yep. Um, it's, it's a few years old now, but um, it's got some really great information. Um, if you really want to write omniscient, there are things you can add, but you need to know what these are. Yeah. One of the things, the, the pitfalls, I think, of the new writer immediately writing omniscient is that it lends itself very, very well to the... Uh, the enthusiastic world builders info dump. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I can just, I can give you all this information that's really cool that I wrote in the, yes. uh, in my in my little wiki. Mm -hmm. um, and then when that writer is, is told, oh, you know what, you really should be in third person limited, yep. um, they will force themselves into maiden butlering yes. some of that info dumping. And the, I think the rule of thumb is, don't info dump, whether you're in omniscient or anything else. Well, yeah, that's the rule of thumb, but it's a rule of thumb. Everybody has to info dump. At some, at some you can point, have yes. a rule that says don't info dump. But at some point, at some point you're going to. But yes, this is this is really good advice. Um, what what you just described is what I like to call the David Edding syndrome. He began most of his books with an omniscient world building chapter, a prologue that s says, you know, the gods once did this. Um, and you know, fantasy was very new back then. It was effective for him. They're still the most boring chapters in his books. But it gave a sense of, of, of feeling and scope, and now people keep wanting to do that, where I think the genre has progressed beyond having to do that. Yeah, James P. Hogan uh, introduced us to an interstellar situation, or interstellar civilization of machines, and I can't remember the name of the book, um, but the first chapter was, was just like this, you know, was omniscient, as we watch a civilization accidentally get destroyed. Yep. Um, and that's a, that's a great reason to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what? Let's quickly get in. What are you advantage you're getting from this type of omniscient? 
you don't have to put a character where they can see everything. Yes. yes. And basically, this type of omniscient I've seen used most effectively in the that's when you go into omniscient. Only when there's not a character who mm -hmm. could see it, you lapse into omniscient. Um, well, and give some information. Yeah, and also even if there is a character who can see it, if it's the only time they're going, you're going into that character's POV, that is going to be more jarring than yeah. stepping into yeah. omniscient. It can most, be. It definitely can you know, be. Mm -hmm. uh, because as soon as you go into a character's POV, you give uh, you give them a weight and an importance. Yep. And if you're going to do that and then not use them. I just love to do that, though. I love to jump into a viewpoint and then kill them. But but if you're doing it with a lot of characters, it's different. Yes, it's, yes. it's when you do it with only oh, one. Oh, yes. If you have a primary single viewpoint protagonist for a book, um, this could actually be a really good tool to you to mm -hmm. say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to balance this with an omniscient. An omniscient and a single character, rather than using a single character and a cast of another you know, 15 characters we only see once, yeah. the omniscient would be a really great tool. Yeah. Um, now, there is one other major type of omniscient that I really think we need to get to. Is there something you... Uh, I want to talk about head hopping before okay, we... Okay, that's the point. last one. Yeah. The last, and this is the hardest to do, mm -hmm. but it is brilliant when it works. This is the Dune style, um, true power omniscient, which is where you come in and you say, I am going to withhold no information from the reader. I am going to show everyone's thoughts I am going to head hop, and so in a given paragraph, you are limited, and that's it. Next paragraph could be another character's viewpoint and thoughts and um, jumping from person to person to person in a given scene. Well, and you can actually do this within a given paragraph, mm. but you have to, and this is why it is so hard, and why it is, uh, head hopping is generally considered a flaw because most yes. people don't do it right. You have to signpost really clearly yes. whose thoughts you are in when it is done wrong yeah you what happens is someone will at, um, have a thought but it is it's not clear to which character it could belong yep and that's when people talk about head hopping because you get a little bit of yep. whiplash jane austen does this beautiful thing in sense and sensibility where she is giving you the thoughts of two characters who are in conversation and they both think they are talking about something different yep and it goes back and forth, like on a line-by-line -line basis. You are, but she is very clear. There is never any doubt about whose internal thoughts you're getting. You know, I think how Dune does it. I'd have to go back and look specifically. I think that any time it is thoughts, he doesn't do the. Um, you know, there's two ways to do thoughts. You italicize it and say he thought or she thought, or you just kind of say. You know, Mary thought that, mm -hmm. and I think he stays yes. away from the second and always puts the thoughts in italics, which is why in the movie they did the voiceovers with so many thoughts is because they're like, how can we convey all of this? Yeah. And so you have all these random thoughts of people, you know, thinking in their heads, and that's, that's, that's why. Yeah, there is a third type of t conveying thoughts, which is to not put in the Mary thought, but yeah. just right, right, put right. the thought without italics. No, no, you're right. There is a third way. That and, and that's yeah. the one that I see people using yep. in... Uh, in head hopping that that's, is just that's crazy wrong. It just, yeah, it, it leaves you disoriented. Why would you do this then? Well, because it does allow you to get deeper into a number of different characters and it allows you to cover a lot more ground, particularly if you've got a scene that's really complex, mm -hmm. uh, like in Dune, where there's a lot of different things going on. And if if you didn't do that, you would have the one scene where you're in one character's point of view and you get all yep. of this political intrigue. Yep. And then you would have to duplicate that scene, all yeah. of that information from someone, someone else. else's point of view. So yeah, I think the Jane Austen example is probably 
you know, probably yeah. best distills the use. These two people are having a conversation and are completely misunderstanding each other, and and here's why. Yeah. And you give them. Well, you, you know, one of the reasons that this actually works so effectively and people do it, I think, is because it encourages the writer. The writer has to be really good, but it encourages them to avoid things like idiot plotting, mm -hmm. and because yeah. it encourages them to avoid, you know, making these I'm not allowed to hide things that they can't fulfill. Because both Jane Austen and Dune, what they will do is they'll give you upfront all the information, and the tension comes between you saying, "Oh no, I see how they're misunderstanding each other," and it's it's believable. Or in Dune, you say, yeah. "Oh no, I see that this guy is a traitor." From chapter one, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. And that's a much harder way to plot than to just say, "Ooh, who is the traitor?" Yeah. Which is, you know, a fun way to do it, but it a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah, it's much harder to maintain tension. Man, uh, Dan goes away, and we go twenty minutes on our podcast. What's up with that? We're doom. gonna, yeah, we're we're he's, he's we, nobody tell him, okay? No, don't tell Dan okay. that we went so long. Can I mention two yes. uh, recent books that are written in omniscient? Go for because it. Because it, it is out of mm -hmm. fashion. So, um, Her Fearful Symmetry by Audrey Niffenegger. Okay. Uh, when I picked it up, I kept having this mm -hmm. um, reaction of having difficulty getting into it because I was so out of the habit of reading omniscient. Yeah. Even though it is perfectly played omniscient. Um, and then All Men of Genius, Genius by Love, Lev A.C. Rosen. Uh, is a very recent book, just came out, and um, and this is again in omniscient, and it is written in omniscient because it is uh, Victorian, okay. and so he's going right. for the flavor, but to, yeah. but the way the book is written, there's no other possible voice it could be in. Yeah, Excellent. Gail Carriger's Soulless is mm. also omniscient, and I was three pages in, and I thought, oh no, that's a POV error. That's awful. That's and there's another POV <laughs> error, and there's another. Oh wait, we're on omniscient. And I started back at the beginning and realized, oh. I'm, on, I'm in omniscient. And once yeah. I made that switch, the book was wonderful. Yeah, and Lev's All Men of Genius, um, he signals very clearly right up front. There's absolutely no doubt when you get into yeah. it that it starts omniscient and stays there. And you know, I tell my students in class, just don't om write omniscient until you've written. <laughs> but you listeners are probably on a higher level than most of my intro students. Um, you've now listened to this podcast. Go ahead and try it out, mm -hmm. honestly. It's another tool in your toolbox. It's not one that should be forbidden. It shouldn't be forbidden. It's just forbidden to people who don't know the difference. Yeah. Um, and so... So we want to give a couple of writing prompts? Yeah, give them writing okay, prompts. Okay, I'm actually, yeah. actually going to give two. Uh, writing prompt number one, um, stick a scene in between two uh, third-person limited scenes where an omniscient narrator delivers information okay. that isn't available to any of your POV characters. Okay. Um, and uh, the second writing prompt um, is uh, pull off this Jane Austen sense and se sensibility thing. Yeah. Have two, two characters carrying on a dialogue in which what is being communicated with the words is out of sync with what each of the characters are thinking. Okay, excellent. You are out of excuses. Thanks for listening. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, 
and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.